You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode 224. I'm your host, Andres Pinter, and joining me for the show is my co-host, Pontus Böckmann. See ya! Hey, son, hey, son, Andras. How are you? Where's Jelena? Uh, hi. Oh, yes. That's, that's the most important question. <laughs> she is otherwise occupied at the moment, and uh, she has a good reason to be to stay away. <laughs> and how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Very well, indeed. Good. I, I'm a bit nervous We for technically, because we are, this uh, upcoming Saturday, we will have the annual meeting with the Swedish skeptics, and we're going to do it all online, and I've been... Uh, testing different ways to make it work and um, uh, yeah i'm not there yet let's put it that way but it will be working i'm hoping how come how come what's no there's um to stream things live yeah is pretty shaky and unstable so i'm uh, abandoning the tool that i was going to use and using something else which i don't know so much about so it should be working so what is it what is it you use the first one was uh, lightstream lightstream yes but it when it works it's beautiful but when it doesn't work and it very often does not work computers get frozen and live streaming is stopped and the sound doesn't work and blah 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 wow so now i'm going over to obs obs and it, which is fine. It, it, I'm, now I'm told that this is what all the the hip people are using, the the, the influencers <laughs> and stuff. So why didn't anybody tell me about this before? Because it's a little bit more technical to set up, but uh, once you've done it, it's much more stable. So uh, watch this space. If you are Swedish or if you understand Swedish, you can join us on on uh, Saturday. The information will be in the the events calendar that we have on our website. Mm-hmm. slash events no slash events in europe i think but yeah that's right on, that's right click on the link <laughs> <laughs> yeah wow okay yeah i think i mentioned that the hungarian government is subsidizing traditional chinese medicine unit at one of the hungarian universities mm. you remember that right yeah, yeah. so I started putting together a press release for the Hungarian Skeptic Society. We ran it through the, um, our members and uh, board members, and we came out with this press release. It was picked up by a couple of news outlets. Mm-hmm. But in the background, I was working before I sent out the press release. I wanted to put the Hungarian Wikipedia page for traditional chinese medicine in Uh, a good shape uh, so i did okay i I wanted to provide the opportunity for the journalists who might get our press release when they start looking up stuff about traditional chinese medicine they should get the right sources and obviously all journalists use wikipedia as well Yeah. yeah yeah hopefully a lot of journalists use other sources but uh, Wikipedia is always a starting point, I think, for all of us. Mm. I mean, I I use it quite often. Mm. Yeah. So this was this was like a bit of a combined action because I knew and I noticed that when the original press release came out that explained what the government was going to do, and uh, that was picked up by some news outlets as well. This is what triggered my talking about this on the on the show last week yeah. but then i noticed that the wikipedia page for traditional chinese medicine in hungarian it came with a surge of new visits so that means that a lot of people were googling it and uh, looking it up so this is why i decided to work on the wikipedia page as well so i'm hoping that through that I managed to get the message through that it's all bogus and it's all a bunch of pseudoscientific claims that they make. Mm, good work. So it's a good thing that I don't travel. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I have Who the time, time to do all that stuff. Who has stuff? time to work? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Mm. I could I could imagine my, my life doing just that kind of stuff. Yeah. I would be more than happy to do that. And as uh, we will explain it in a bit more detail throughout the episode, I think there is more and more need for that kind of action mm. because 
we are just drowning in pseudoscience and yes, bullshit. Yes, we are. We are. And anti-vaccination views and everything. Especially anti-vax, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. This is why it's a bit of a retreat. It's a, it's a nice treat for ourselves when we can dive into something different, something uplifting. And what can be more uplifting than a rocket launch? Oh, yes, 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 yes. Hopefully it all went well. When uh, you're listening to this, it it will already have happened. Yes, but for us it's tomorrow. So yeah, yeah it's uh, we. I can't wait to see it. I will definitely follow the SpaceX uh, launch. First manned crew. Life. Yes. Yeah, it will or, be the first yeah. manned, manned manned launch of the Dragon capsule. Yeah, and they don't only just take people to orbit. Uh, the the two astronauts. But they will be docking the International Space Station as well. Yeah. So, <laughs> so excited. <laughs> but by the time this goes out, everyone, including our listeners, will have known uh, already how it all went. Yep. Yeah, if there's just, just no other stuff to... Let's just dive in. Chat about, let's dive in, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Usually, when Yelena is not here... I just leave this week in skepticism alone, but this week I couldn't. <laughs> and uh, that's because I found this day to be very special, for me at least, because of my uh, interests. Mm-hmm. So today's birthday boy is Jean-Louis Rodolphe Agassi, mm-hmm. who was a Swiss-born biologist and geologist who was, without a question, a great scientific mind of the 19th century, widely referred to as the father of glaciology. Glaciology, you know, the, the, ice. The, 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 yeah, the science of ice. Mm-hmm. Um, he was born on the 28th of May, 1807, as the son of a local pastor in the Swiss canton of Fribourg. He studied in Switzerland, present-day Germany and France, developing an interest in botany at first, but uh, he later turned his inquisitive eyes towards fish, right after meeting Alexander von Humboldt and Georges Cuvier. He got a professorship in Switzerland. He was a foreign member of the Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences as well. Pontus. Mm-hmm. Oh, there you go. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Shame on you for not knowing all the foreign <laughs> members of the Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences. <laughs> I don't I know the current head of it. So is that Oh you do? Yes. Okay, good. Good. Don Lohammer, he's on the he used to be on the board of the Swedish skeptics, but now he's too busy, but we still uh, are in contact. Wow, that that's amazing. Name dropping. Yeah. Actually, actually we did have um, at the beginning of the, the skeptical movement here in Hungary, we did have a couple of academics, members of the Hungarian Academy of Sciences as the founders of the skeptic movement, but uh, somehow they left the, the whole <laughs> okay. cause. Okay, but going back to uh, Agassi, um, at the age of 40, he emigrated to the United States and became a professor of zoology and geology at Harvard as the head of the Lawrence Scientific School and the founder of the Museum of Comparative Zoology, which is an exciting discipline. Um, This is what I loved the most when I uh, studied biology at university. Comparative uh, zoology and comparative anatomy. Oh my God, that's mind-blowing stuff. But (laughs) (laughs) before he went to the US, he made a couple of very important observations in the Alps. Well, being a Swiss guy, he had an interest in that. He wanted to find out more about geomorphological phenomena based on uh, previous findings of others, including those of... Johann Wolfgang Goethe, Mm -hmm, who was not only a brilliant writer, yeah, but also a naturalist. Did you know that? No? I didn't know that. Those were the days where you could, you know, excel in many different uh, areas at the same time. Yeah, you know, I'm really fascinated by polymaths. Yes. But we cannot do that anymore. (laughs) I mean, who can acquire that much knowledge about everything? Nobody. Oh. Except for Stephen Novella, but um, I think... (laughs) (laughs) I think we established long ago that uh, he's superhuman. Okay, going back on track. So some naturalists back then noticed the ways glaciers can transform the surface and how some erratic boulders, for example, had been transported by those glaciers from relatively large distances. And then came Agassi, who formulated the theory that an ice age occurred in the history of the Earth. Wow. He presented his theory in 1837, and in 1840 he published his book Studies on Glaciers. It was published in French, actually. 
But in that book, he basically outlined the complete theory that based on geomorphological phenomena observed today, one can derive that all Switzerland and most of the surrounding areas had once been completely covered in ice. Hmm. The term ice age now refers to a glaciation actually, a, a period when there is ice around the polar regions and uh, glaciers are present on the land. There have been five known glaciations in the history of the Earth, and the last one is usually called the Ice Age. And within that, there have been so-called glacial and interglacial periods, and we currently live in the Holocene interglacial, actually. That is truly fascinating stuff. <laughs> I would love to go on and on and on about that. But the bottom line is when Agassi came out with uh, the theory, the new scientific discipline started its quick development. It started to spreading like wildfire and he became a bit of a star, mm. which is not very often the case, especially those times. Well, in the, the second part of the 19th century, the Victorian era, was probably a bit better in that regard. And he was an expert in comparative zoology and an ichthyologist, you know, the, the one who studies fish. He even found fossil fish specimens up in the Alps. Since he was famous, Charles Darwin, his contemporary, and probably even some sort of a friend to him, and very fond of Agassiz's work, sent him a copy of The Origin of Species, uh -huh. naively thinking that it would be appreciated. Ah, oh. It wasn't. Really? Uh, the reason for that was that Agassi was a massive creationist, uh, which was not a big thing at the beginning of the century. Oh, everybody uh, was, weren't they? Yes. More or less. Almost everyone, yeah. But by the time Darwin's most famous work was published, there was a lot of doubt about the idea of everything having been created by God. Uh, the, the most prominent scholars usually accepted the idea of evolution, even, even if they rejected the mechanism Darwin proposed for it. But Agassi completely dismissed the idea of creation not having taken place. Uh -huh. So the fish on top of the Alps was because of the flood, I guess, then. Yes, ah, yes, uh -huh. uh, that uh -huh. kind of thinking. Yeah. And by that time, it was unacceptable in learned circles. Yeah, so he, probably his tutor Cuvier and his father, a pastor, must have had a, a, a lasting influence on him. He criticized Darwin's ideas vehemently, uh, so much so that soon they found themselves mocking one another behind each other's back. <laughs> Agassi was more into the William Paley line of ideas, which was very much outdated by then. You know that he was the one who came up with a precise calculation of uh, uh -oh. when the Earth was created. Mm, yes. But it was mostly his polygenism that made him a bit of a controversial figure of science soon after his death. Mm -hmm. Polygenism is the idea that every living thing was created in different so-called special provinces, including all the races of human, mm -hmm. as opposed to monogenism that science supports today, that says that all current life and indeed humans come from the same distant ancestor. Yeah. There was massive debate. There were massive debates over this and towards the end of his life. He was considered a bit of a bigot who can only think of everything in the context of creation. And he died in 1873 in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and he has a bit of a mixed legacy because of all that, at least from a skeptical point of view. So by the time that he's, and Darwin's ideas came out, he should have accepted all that based on all the knowledge that he had acquired beforehand. Because he knew how much variation there is in the animal kingdom and he still didn't accept yeah. um, the mechanism uh, proposed by darwin so yes that is jean-louis rodolphe agassi hmm, very good i didn't know mm -hmm. of this guy actually mm. thank you a lot of places are named after him actually mm -hmm. he was a, a big figure of uh science Anyhow, from science... To another big figure. Yeah, to another big figure. And <laughs> now that we touched a little bit on the conflict between science and religion, uh, why don't you poke the Pope a little? All right. Well, Francis, Pope Francis, was very happy this Sunday because for the first time since the lockdown, he was able to deliver his blessings to a live crowd of people at St. Peter's Square. <laughs> and he looked really happy yeah. on the, on the, on the, and really glad on the 
pictures there. Although, of course, there were only allowed a, a, a very few people there, a couple of dozen only, because there's still a pandemic around. Uh, it must be very strange for Francis to have to cancel all the prayers and miracles due to a plague. But uh, there we go. What? What? He had to cancel miracles? Yeah. Well, yeah, I haven't seen a single miracle in many months, so he must have been cancelled and all, all okay. of them. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't hold. Yeah. But in the back office, he's doing other things. He has been very busy looking after the money. Mm -hmm. Last week, he shut down no less than nine different Swiss holding companies. And these are the holding companies that have been looking after the Mussolini money. Yes, Mussolini money. They were created to manage the money that Mussolini paid in 1929 to compensate the Vatican for the loss of the papal states back in the 1800s. And it wasn't just a little money either. The money that was paid at that time would be worth about $1.5 billion today. Mm -hmm. So, of course, the den pope put it all in a Swiss bank account, or, or nine of them. Pope Pius Eleventh, that was. Yeah, it must have been. Yeah, it must have been. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. So, so that's what he's been doing. He's been looking after the money. He's also transferred the control of the so-called Centro Elaborazione Dati, the Center for Elaboration of Data, the CED. I'll call it the CED. Uh, they've moved the CED to the Secretariat for the Economy, the SPE. So uh, that's the office. Uh, the CED is the office uh, responsible for monitoring cash flows and assessing the impact on the financials of the Vatican. So if anybody knows um, how much money uh, that the Vatican has, it's the CED. So he's taking control of that and... Um, the background of this moving around of money is partly about what I talked about last week, the big losses in the Holy See due to less donations. But it's also part of Francis' big legacy of the church, which has been talked about for some time. It's known as the Reform 2.0. That sounds uh, strangely modern for, for the Vatican, but anyway. <laughs> uh, and he has published some of his intentions before and i think i talked about that last year uh we will see what the next steps will be for the church this is the beginning of francis big reorganization of of the vatican and the holy see and um, it's one of the reasons why it's not very popular among the conservative people in the vatican uh, for one thing reorganizations means that some people will lose their positions and uh, people generally don't like change at all. But maybe as an unexpected consequence of uh, the current crisis is that, that it'll help Francis to implement the changes he has wanted to do all along. Mm -hmm. So to be continued. All right. Mm -hmm. So this didn't really sound like that much of a poking. No. So um, you were quite nice to him today. Yeah. 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 No. He's uh, well. I. I don't know. I mean. I. I don't think there's anything nefarious about what he's doing right now. But uh, I, I think he's clearly very, very frustrated that uh, he can't meet with people and and have the big crowds there on. Yeah. On uh, Saint Peter Square and on other places. He. I, he's big on travel as well and of course he can't travel at the moment yeah yeah but because he he's big on spending time with people yeah and um i genuinely believe that he is a nice guy who wants the best but the, the it's the office <laughs> and the institution i think yeah. that but um, he, we shouldn't we shouldn't forget he has some very very conservative and old-fashioned ideas about uh, women about sex about uh, abortions and stuff he is uh, for a pope he's fairly nice but he's still the bloody pope yeah well we do have friends around us and family as well who are conservative people that doesn't necessarily mean they cannot be nice but at this point I totally believe that once someone is associated with the Catholic Church, they have to have somewhat conservative ideas because oh, yeah. Yeah, then, yeah, yeah. then they would probably just leave. And it regenerates itself somehow. Hmm. All right. Thank you very much, Pontus. Thank you. So let's see what's going on uh, with the COVID-19 as of late. So... It looks like here in Europe, countries are about to open up and get back to normal. Does anyone remember what normal was like, though? 
Yeah, no, I, and I don't <laughs> think we will get back to normal uh, yeah. anytime soon, but... Yeah, but yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Somewhat more normal, maybe. Yes, yeah, closer to normal. Mm. But it's probably a good thing that we don't necessarily remember what it was like. <laughs> Anyhow, pollution charts are uh, definitely crawling back up as people start moving around uh, with the cars mm. and... Uh, mm -hmm energy consumption goes up as well. Some countries expect to see an increase in numbers of uh, COVID-19 infections, but if and when the second wave hits, what road country leaders will, will take is anyone's guess at the moment. Mm. We don't have a vaccine yet, and it'll take several months still if all goes well, and miracle cures simply don't seem to work. A new study shows that hydroxychloroquine is most likely completely useless in treating mm. COVID-19. This is the largest right. study ever put together about that. It wasn't a controlled investigation. It was a review of all the currently available data. So it looks like it's completely useless, but at least it can kill you. <laughs> <laughs> because your chance of dying almost yeah. uh, is, is almost double compared to when you're not taking it. So please don't tell Donald Trump that. He, um, I think he's already stopped taking it, actually. So yeah. even him. <laughs> <laughs> so he he does listen to science after all. No, I don't think so. He just got no, 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 uh, no. It's it's not the right conclusion. No, no, that's not what he's <laughs> listening to. I don't know what voices he has in his head, but it's not science. Yeah, but with all that considered, uh, the only thing left is to try and be cautious and apply common sense. Uh, physical distancing is still a good idea. Some countries have regulations at place regarding all that. Others publish recommendations regarding safety protocols and equipment to use. A few weeks ago, however, when Annika was uh, co-hosting with us, um, she mentioned that church services would reopen in a few days. Turned out it was a bad idea. It, it really was. <laughs> or at least some more, a bit more caution should have been applied. Yeah. Uh, right after that happened, a Baptist church congregation managed to turn the service of the church into a who-can-catch-COVID-19 kind of party <laughs> <laughs> and spread the virus among believers from all over the Rhine main area. The Frankfurt Health Office confirmed that the point of contact was definitely the church for everyone involved in, in that occurrence. Turns out they simply didn't follow the rule of having the, to wear face masks because it only applies to people in public areas and not inside church buildings where the church representatives are the ones who are expected to ensure the safety of the people with their own rules. Yeah. Now, the initial reports say that more than 40 people were infected, but now the latest number seems to be 112. Wow. Yeah, so congratulations, people. <sighs> Looks like yeah. God wasn't in a good mood that day, and he just allowed no, you he, to... He punishes you for going to church. That's, that's yeah. bad. Yeah, so, so, so that's the latest in Germany regarding COVID-19. Yeah, apart from uh, all the people marching on the streets, demanding the lifting of all the regulations and restrictions. But uh, what's the buzz in Sweden? Yeah, I, uh, I have to talk a little bit about Sweden again. I did that last week too, mm -hmm. but I get so annoyed when I read articles uh, <laughs> from abroad that are totally misrepresenting the whole thing. But there's no, no doubt, of course, that Sweden do have quite a high number of COVID-19 deaths and, and cases. Uh, we have 4,000 deaths or more than that, and that's in a population of around 10 million people. Mm -hmm. As we have commented on, and as you could read in even the bad <laughs> reports, uh, Sweden has had or do have fewer restrictions and no lockdown as other countries. For instance, this, it's still allowed to have gatherings with up to 50 people and schools are remained open at least until uh, level 10. Mm -hmm. uh, above that, it's more online teaching. But uh, anyway, so of course, it's attracted a lot of attention. The Guardian, for instance, published an opinion piece on the 23rd of May calling the Swedish model deadly. <laughs> it seems especially in the UK, uh, there's a currently a trend of explaining how badly Sweden is doing and how disastrous the strategy has been. So, Remind me how many deaths have occurred in the UK. <laughs> it's over 30,000, I think. I don't have the number in my head. Yeah, yeah. Lots. 
But so how bad is it in Sweden? So let's talk about some of the bad news. There have been more deaths, especially in the retirement homes mm-hmm. than expected or foreseen. Yeah. I don't have the exact, exact numbers for the retirement uh, separately. Uh, I don't know if anybody has that number, but from different reports, it seems that perhaps almost up to half of the deaths have happened in retirement homes. Wow. And and, that, and that's really bad because, you know, if the, if you get the disease into a retirement home where, all, where everybody's there, per definition, is in a risk group and they can't leave, uh, it's a recipe for, for disaster, of course. So that's, that's yes. not good. Yeah. What else is there that is bad? Well, Stockholm is bad. Sweden has uh, is divided into 25 counties. And by far, uh, the most deaths are concentrated in the county of Stockholm. But isn't that the most populated area? It, it is. But yeah. also, if you look at per in relation to the population, it's it's higher there. Yeah. Ah, okay. Okay. So one one way to look at this, which I think is fairly, in, it's interesting, but it's also all numbers are difficult to interpret. But but one number that I think is interesting to look at is the the number of deaths per million in a country. A couple of weeks ago, Sweden was at the top in uh, Europe on this number, lying between six to seven deaths per million per week, and that made headlines not just in the uk but across the world sweden is now the worst in europe well there's two things that was never pointed out about this number first many countries do not include deaths that happens in retirement homes so if sweden has also had also excluded that it would probably drop between a third and half uh, of the of the number so you can't compare it to numbers in other countries because the statistics are just collected differently and may not be comparable and secondly about the same number since about a month this curve is steadily in decline also in sweden having peaked at around 10 well belgium peaked at 28 a month ago Mm. that's three times as high almost so and we didn't see any reporting about that spain peaked at 19 france at 17 uk and italy at 14 and the latest number for sweden as we record this is 4.5 so how disastrous is sweden really and then i want to go back to talk about the different counties because talking about sweden as one entity is very misleading I looked at another set of numbers. I don't have COVID deaths per county, but I have the total number of deaths per county. And if you look at the period 1st of March to mid-May, which is the relevant COVID window, if we call it that, and compare it with the average of 2018 and 2019, same period, there you can see how much excess deaths there have been in, in Sweden. And I have those numbers. If you look at that, mm-hmm. in that period, there were 3,200 more deaths in Sweden. That's an increase by 17% compared to the previous two years. If you look only at the county of Stockholm, it was almost 60%. And for the rest of Sweden, it was 8 And in the most southern county where I live, the number is minus 1.5 percent <laughs> how so can that happen where i okay. live we've had actually had slightly fewer deaths in this period compared to the average of the two previous years so ah, okay. and i'm i'm sure this is the same for many countries or maybe all countries you can't just say this country is bad you have to go down to break it down into even smaller yes uh, yes entities yeah but the, the problem is that 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 breakdown can happen for different reasons yeah when it comes to hungary we do have a little bit of a breakdown based on different counties. But when you visit uh, the government website for coronavirus, the most important distinction that they try to make for you mm-hmm. is that how many deaths occurred in the capital and outside of the capital. Mm. Yeah. Now, why that is important for the government is because the capital, the mayor of the capital right now is an opposition party guy. Yeah, yeah. so they want to put the blame on him. <laughs> there were several attempts to put the blame on him yeah. and try to make him suffer politically for what's going on. And uh, because it happened even here in Hungary that a couple of uh, care homes had um, very high numbers of uh, infections. Uh, yeah. Going back to Sweden for just a second, if you look at yeah, yeah. the Swedish strategy quote-unquote, 
has it failed or has it not failed? Yes, of course, there's been a lot of deaths in the retirement homes. Mm-hmm. And that uh, that's bad. It's been uh, a lot of deaths in, in Stockholm as well. And uh, maybe we could have prevented it somehow. But if we take the retirement homes as a as an example, I don't think we would have reduced the deaths in retirement homes by closing the schools because last time i checked the elderly don't go to school anyway so so that's that's not right and and i guess the whole takeaway is the usual skeptic conclusion yeah something is always more complicated than you think and it's also very easy to cherry pick statistics if you want to create clickbaity headlines yeah that's right Mm. and you know there is another thing that pisses me off every time I come across that argument, mm-hmm. is that why include elderly people in the death statistics? Because they would have died anyway mm-hmm. because of their previously existing conditions. But there is a study done by the University of Glasgow that tested that assumption. And it turns out that on average, coronavirus cuts the lifespan of people by 10 years or more. Mm. So even those people who had pre-existing conditions when they got the coronavirus infection, they would have lived more than 10 years, Mm. which is really... That's something. ...is significant. (laughs) Yeah, it is. And uh, I think, uh, as far as I know, it has been confirmed by other studies as well. So so it is important to to know that, because otherwise we get to the wrong conclusion that, oh, they would have died anyway. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah. it's it's just not the right conclusion. No. And the other thing is when they they come up with the the argument about uh, the flu that people die of the flu all the time, and there are much more. Well, there are estimates as to how many people die because of the flu a year, and we've already passed that mm. the average yes. for that ex- estimate, but within less than half a year. Yeah. Yeah, it's three months only. (laughs) As opposed to more than a year, yeah. And the other thing is that with uh, influenza, it's usually, even for elderly people, it's usually not the influenza itself that kills them. It's the secondary infections that cause pneumonia or heart failure or something like that. But with COVID-19, with the coronavirus infection, it can kill you without a secondary infection, mm. especially if you have a pre-existing condition. So those are also things that you have to take into account when you try to assess what the situation is. And now that we're talking about that, I think we need to f- mention something uh, about the vaccinations and how people... So I, I mentioned that the vaccine is in development and uh, people have a general distrust towards that uh, kind of vaccine development. And uh, several analyses and reviews have recently been published regarding the, the current state and foreseeable future direction of the anti-vaccination movement. If you feel like there is a massive surge of this kind of content on social media since the pandemic was announced and action across the globe has been taken up, to stop it, you're not very far off, I'm afraid. It is a complex issue that has a lot to do with uh, whom we trust and how we perceive information coming from different sources. I don't know if you're familiar with YouGov. Mm-hmm. It's, yes. it's an international research data and anal- analytics group based in the UK. And they published the latest survey data regarding COVID-19 and uh, people's perceptions of the situations on a weekly basis. Uh, one of these uh, updates published on the 18th of May included an interesting figure that showed the level of trust we put in different sources, namely the media, the government, our friends and family, and healthcare professionals. And the results are very thought-provoking, but far from surprising. Although healthcare professionals seem to be the most trusted in general, in some countries, like Germany and Poland, only about 80% of the respondents trusted them. Mm. So to turn that around, 20% of respondents didn't trust healthcare professionals, which is alarmingly high. Uh, in most European countries, including the survey, the level of trust in healthcare professionals was around 90%. Only in Poland was the trust stronger towards friends and family than towards healthcare professionals. But friends and family rank very high mm. on a large scale, between 60 and 90% for most countries surveyed, and media seems to appear the less trusted with a few countries like Italy, France, the UK and Sweden seeing less than 50% of the respondents trusting media sources. Trusting governments is very scattered. It's all over the place. Hmm. But what does all that mean? 
when we trust our friends and family to provide us with honest and correct information, but not authorities and the media, we have a problem. Because the latter are those who really need to get the message through regarding restrictions, regulations, and actions to take when, let's say, fighting COVID-19. And our friends and family are the ones we communicate on social media with. And that seems to be the greatest source of misinformation out there currently, social media. So we have another problem. Hmm. And this seems to be a bigger problem than we would like to admit. There was a study published in Nature on the 13th of May that attempted to assess the current situation in the ongoing competition between pro and anti-vaccination views. Now, mind you that that study was basically done before the COVID-19 pandemic situation. So we don't know what the current situation is, but I suspect that it has worsened since Mm. the pandemic was announced. They used data from Facebook users and especially Facebook pages to map the ecology of the online space regarding vaccine-related attitudes by identifying clusters based on uh, close to 100 million followers of those pages and the interactions between them. So they mapped the interactions and how these clusters move in time based on the content. They tried to find out what dynamics these pages and their contents follow and what conclusions could be drawn from them. Without going into an in-depth analysis of the article, the conclusions are somewhat unsettling. Based on the dynamics they uncovered with their algorithms, it looks like anti-vaccination narratives currently represent a minority, they are, but they are not very far behind the pro-vaccine narratives. Mm-hmm. And the support for the anti-vax views seem to be growing much faster. Yeah. It looks like for the 74.1 million users mapped here as undecided, uh, there is a better chance of leaning towards the anti-vax sentiment than the pro-vaccination views in the long run. And based on this study, it really looks like the anti-vax people have much more to offer to those undecided users than the pro-side. And I think our recent personal encounters might confirm those results. Mine certainly do. (laughs) I've had people ferociously um, defending the the anti-vaccination agenda on Facebook in the last couple of days. So we have a lot to worry about. According to this study... If nothing changes, the tendencies show that in less than 10 years, anti-vax views can overcome a pro-vaccination stance with regards to general support. And that just scares the shit out of me, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, Because that will come with a price tag Mm -hmm. that we really don't want. Mm. All the the stuff, all the the terrible diseases coming back. And uh, if we have a chance to stop COVID-19 from spreading in the future, that is with a vaccine with a viable vaccine. So the vaccine information war is on, and we have to figure out how to make the pro-vaccine standpoint more appealing to people and and make the idea of science a bit less alien to them. Lockdowns and restrictions take their toll on people's mental health and and trust in, in both the governments and their actions. It's becoming more and more difficult to keep up, and whoever comes and provides an alternative explanation and possibly an easy way out of the hardships, they will be followed. Mm. So we need to identify the problems, uh, the challenges, and find the appropriate answers. And we need tools for that that need to be developed. Some tools are already there. Uh, one of them is uh, called NewsGuard. It's it, um, identifying the media, the social media so-called super spreaders of misinformation by similar mapping kind of stuff. But uh, science communication, delivering the message of science and critical thinking is more important than ever. And this is what I referred to back at the beginning of the show, hmm. that uh, we have to make a lot of effort to get the message through. Yeah, but it's 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 hard because you, science is so much more rigorous and there's shades of grey and it's perhaps and maybe and complicated. Yeah. And it's much more easy to say it's Bill Gates' fa- fault, all, all of it. It's much easier to sell that. Uh, some people ask me why you get into those fights and, uh, and arguments mm. about this stuff. And the reason why I do, firstly, I practice my gentle approach. I try to be as gentle as possible. Don't always succeed, I have to admit. Yeah, (laughs) when I just lose it, (laughs) I I can't argue nicely anymore. But the most important thing about taking part in those debates is that you learn how people think. You learn what the underlying reasons for them to think that way might be. 
Yeah. And if you learn, learn all that, you can formulate your approach accordingly. And I think that is one of the most important aspects of our fight against pseudoscience and anti-vaccination views. But it's not only anti-vaccination, it's, it's anti-science in general. Yeah. All right. So we will still talk a lot about COVID-19 related stuff, but not like an analysis kind of thing, but more like news. So let's talk about homeopathy again <laughs> and COVID-19. So of course. It, of course, they are now promoting their sugar pills um, against the, the pandemic. And the last time we talked about this, this it was the BHA, the British Homeopathy Association. Mm -hmm. And this time it's another UK organization called Homeopathy International. And they're doing exactly the bloody same thing. Uh, they know that they can't promote homeopathy directly as a cure against COVID-19. So instead, they write a whole lot of general and non-controversial information about COVID-19. And then they end with... By the way, the symptoms of COVID-19 are very similar to the symptoms of the seasonal flu. And this is what we recommend against the flu in that same article, oh, which, of course, is very dishonest. It is. Uh, and uh, again, I don't understand this. It, for the millionth time, I think they have a bogus product. It's based on illogical thinking, unscientific reasoning. And the end product is a pill that is indistinguishable from any other sugar pill. There's no content in it except sugar. And then they say it treats the symptoms, not the actual disease, but still they want to give the impression that it also cures the disease. Uh, the more you read about homeopathy, the more silly it gets. Mm. And I wish they would just stop. But the latest uh, organization doing this is Homeopathy International. And I hope they won't get away with it, but so far it's still there on their webpage. Why wouldn't they get away with it? Which is the authority that would find them or stop them? Is there an international <sighs> I don't know. organization that could fight them? No, probably not. Probably uh, not. Not really, no. not really. And we know for a fact that WHO, uh, the World Health Organization, is not very big on fighting pseudoscience. Mm, no. So... <laughs> We just kind of have to get used to people out on, out on the street and on the internet uh, spreading nonsense about COVID-19. But when a member of parliament does that, mm. it gives the whole issue a lot of undeserved weight. Earlier in May, an Italian member of parliament, Sara Cunial, delivered a speech on the floor of the Chamber of Deputies uh, that was recorded and put on the internet and subsequently started to spread like wildfire. The speech had all the signature traits of conspiratorial thinking. It caught Snopes' attention because the claim was that the Italian government called for the arrest of Bill Gates. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, first of all, it was not the opinion of the government. It was an MP whose party is currently the largest party in the coalition government. I give you that. Uh, but she wasn't speaking for the government. Although, with Cinque Stelle, uh, the five-star... Hmm. You never know. Those guys are the populists among populists. <laughs> and uh, they currently have nine ministers in the cabinet. And uh, you probably remember that they were the ones pushing an anti-vax agenda, yeah. leading to a surge in measles two years ago. Yeah. Then, back then, she called, the, um, Sara Cunial, called vaccination a free genocide, for which she got temporarily suspended. Uh, by the party itself, so that was <laughs> that. That was too far fetched, even for that party. On this occasion, however, she revisited her favorite conspiracy theories, all orbiting around COVID nineteen, five G, obviously, Bill Gates working to depopulate the world. Completely misquoting him. Uh, the implementation of microchips by administering vaccines, all done by the government. And my personal favorite is that she said the true cultural epidemic of our society, referring, of course, to Italy, was, quote unquote, dogmatic scientism. Oh. <laughs> well, I do think that we would be better off with a dogmatic scientism, but <laughs> as dogmas go. <laughs> yeah, that's so the good one. If we, if we had to live with a dogma in our yeah, lives, I yeah. would choose science as a dogma. Yeah, yeah. But... Of course, we all know that science is, is not, not dogmatic. No. But this time, uh, she was told 
to shut the fuck up at some point during his, her speech. The Italian government de- denied they had intentions to lock Bill Gates up in Italy, which is good to know. <laughs> but <laughs> with politicians like here speaking up, gaining followers, I think we're in deeper and deeper shit as, as we go along. By the way, as it truly violated YouTube's recently implemented rules, it has now been removed. But my worry is that that kind of removal of content I don't just even... adds to the end. It confirms the conspiracy. Yes, it yeah. confirms that there is a conspiracy in the background. Yeah. Uh, you sp- spoke about social media before and now YouTube. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Twitter a little bit. Yeah. Researchers at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh have looked into more than 200 million tweets about the pandemic. That's quite a lot of work. And they've concluded that almost half of the accounts in the discussions behave like robots rather than humans. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> but uh, even if we already knew... That, that that was the case. It's very important to have this research scientifically so that you can actually say that this is the case. It's not just what I think it's, it's mostly bots. It is really that. And so how can they tell if it's a bot? One thing is if an account tweets quicker than is humanly possible. That, that, that's a clear indication, right? And also if you can see the same tweet appear too regularly every hour on the... Sp- second or something like that or if a tweet account first claims to be in one place and then perhaps just a few hours later in a total other country or area things like that 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 that's a clear indication that this is not a real human being yeah and so what do these bots tweet about well we've already i think mentioned it it's uh, conspiracy theories of course 5g causing covid-19 fake stories about bill gates you we already said it the researchers say that the tweets are consistent with bots created in russia and china but the sheer volume of the tweets and the accounts makes it impossible to verify for sure they say twitter on its side say that they have uh, challenged quote-unquote 1.5 million accounts and are looking into new automated ways of labeling dubious tweets but i I think they will always fall behind the the bad guys if you will it's all the 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 bad guys can always come up with the new idea new ways of doing this that are harder to catch but so the only takeaway is that once again you have to be very very careful when it comes to believing information on social media uh, that's not new, but at least now it's a little bit more scientifically proven. Yeah, yeah, that kind of uh, research is very important for us to understand yeah. how stuff works. Yeah, and also to show that it, this is for real. It's not the, yeah. just that we don't like their opinions, so we call them bots. Yeah. No, yeah. this is really bots. <laughs> so we talk a lot about 5G lately and uh, how we will all die because of it. Mm. Um, If only there was a way to shield yourself against it. Yes, so fear no more. (laughs) Here's a solution. Uh, A new product has appeared on the market. It's called 5G BioShield. Wow. Let me quote the ad, because it's gold, it's pure gold. The 5G BioShield USB key with the nano layer is a quantum holographic catalyzer technology for the balance and harmonization of the harmful effects of imbalanced electric radiation. Ooh, techno babble. <laughs> what a what a big load of bollocks. Uh, I, I'm sure when when they decided to ride the waves of this pandemic, which it is, um, definitely, uh, they went, you know what? Throwing the words nano quantum harmonization and radiation and we'll be fine mm. <laughs> and, and, the, and the whole explanation sounds like a sentence coming fresh from the you know the the uh, esoteric bullshit generator <laughs> yeah so yeah. <laughs> i think i think just they gave the input of these words and then it came up uh, with uh, the slogan i love the chills that are the quantum holographic catalyzer gives me as it sounds absolutely star trekky yeah, yes. Uh, I was thinking of Star Trek too. It's, <laughs> it's something like uh, what they say uh, used to explain why the transporters don't work. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but my personal favorite is definitely imbalanced electric radiation. Three words that have no meaning whatsoever when put together. <laughs> Never mind. One could easily say, so what? Well, let's have a further look at their website. Definitely won't share it because we don't want to make them more available. But it looks like they set up a company directly for the purpose of selling their bogus product. 
because mm. uh, they're called BioShield Distribution LTD. But it's worth checking out the product line. You have the option of buying the the 5G BioShield USB key or buying three of the same product. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> For £283 and £795, oh. respectively. Wow. <laughs> Good news is that it ships worldwide. <laughs> is freight included? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, if you look further, you'll see testimonials from all over the world. And since you're science-minded, you'll notice there's a menu item called Science and Research. Ooh. Good. Let's click on that. It's a gold mine of laws and equations of creation, decoding the human body field. What? God in the atom and a lot more like that. God in the atom. So that is what they call research. <laughs> wow. How I came across this was that Andy Lewis from Quackometer mm -hmm. uh, wrote an article about that based on a tweet about this product but he bought a similar thing a few years ago from a homeopath who happened to be a subtle energy engineer and lecturer in health and environmental analysis and of course he dismantled it only to find nothing inside but a battery it was homeopathic right a so copper coil was yeah it was homeopathic it. <laughs> no there, there were pieces actual pieces like yeah. there was a battery there was a copper coil oh. that was made out of a 50 millimeter long plumbing pipe <laughs> and doesn't seem to be anything mm. so i'm pretty sure if i opened up one of these usb sticks mm. something similar would happen i'd like to ask anyone who knows anyone that owns one of these to get their hands on it and take a look mm. and then let me know please get in touch but based on my experience with similar products you'll find nothing more than a few cables if if that if any yeah after all who would dismantle a usb key right so it's quite mm. safe to say that you would not buy and then dismantle a usb key so even if there is nothing inside they can get away with it so if you open it up and find nothing please file a complaint and expose these ruthless cynical sales creatures because because they have to be stopped it's bad enough that we have this pandemic upon us, but uh, people taking advantage of the vulnerable is even worse than that. Yeah. Speaking of pandemics, <laughs> mm -hmm. we have a pandemic, Andras, have you heard? Yeah, rings uh, about. So we tend to focus quite a lot on this COVID-19 thing. However, the other diseases don't go away just because there's a new one around. The WHO, UNICEF, Gavi and the Sabine Vaccine Institute has collected data from all over the world that show that about 80 million children below the age of one are now at risk of diphtheria, measles, polio and other diseases because of interrupted vaccination programs. Aye, aye, aye due to the COVID-19 pandemic. So measles vaccination campaigns have been halted in 27 countries, polio campaigns in 38 countries. Even in countries where vaccinations are still offered, many parents cannot or are afraid to take their babies to the clinics to get their vaccination. So this is really bad news and we will see the effects long after the pandemic is over, especially polio. That worries me a lot. Yeah. Since we've tried to get rid of that thing for decades and we do know how to do that, but it's been sabotaged uh, again and again. So that's worrying. But also measles, where I believe we're now back to about a third of the number of cases that we were uh, a year ago. So it was looking good for a while, but now it will probably come back again. And as we've talked bef about before already this episode, the anti-vaxxers are mobilizing. It, to me, it is crazy that during times of the worst pandemic in over 100 years, where there isn't even a vaccine, the vaccination resistance is rising. Yeah. You would think that people would be crazy for a vaccine. Give me anything that works. But no, on the other hand, it, yeah, it but the, works the other way around somehow. One of the most important aspects of their approach is that they try to deny that this pandemic is a serious threat. So a lot of people start downplaying by now yeah. the, this whole pandemic situation. Yeah, but they do it because they don't like vaccines. That that's yeah. Yeah, so that comes first in a way. Yeah, but if you if you downplay the effects of the pandemic and then put 
into this context, you put the idea of vaccination, then you yeah. you will conclude that the vaccination is not necessary. And if governments push for this vaccination uh, and tell that tell us that uh, when the vaccine is ready, you will have to take it. Uh, that means that they have a hidden agenda. Oh my God, you're right. Yeah, we have been wrong all along. Yes, we we have. Yes, mm. <laughs> <laughs> you convinced me. <laughs> I didn't want to. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> yeah, you have to be careful of what you say. Mm. But when it comes to weird or unsubstantiated claims made by marketers of certain products, uh, us skeptics, at least in Hungary, can only do so much. We try to expose them, often with the help of news outlets who occasionally even beat us to it. But we, when certain authorities start taking a closer look at their wrongdoings, now that's when the fun starts. So there's this guy named Gabor Vorgo, who's been on our radar for many years now. It started when he marketed his magical fungi extract, uh, not to be confused with magic mushrooms, I, I mind you, ah. that he claimed could cure a whole lot of ailments and even serious conditions. Uh, a couple of years ago, his company Max Immune Limited was fined to 21 million Hungarian forints by the Hungarian Competition Authority, which amounts to about 70,000 euros. Mm -hmm. And that was for promising consumers such results that cannot be verified or proven, but could easily trick them into buying his products, uh, thus providing him with an advantage on the market. Although it seems like a large amount, 70,000 euros, and especially so back in 2013 when the verdict came out, it didn't really bring about the effect we were lo looking to see. It didn't ruin his business. The products in question are still there in a product line, along with many others. Mm -hmm. But instead of marketing them with a clear message that he used to, vague positive health effects are attributed to them, and very sciencey sounding explanations are given on the website. But his latest madness is a skincare product mm -hmm. called Vorgopeptide that claims to contain the pro-insulin C-peptide. Now, that is a connecting peptide that is co-secreted with insulin upon glucose stimulation. And jury is still out on whether it is friend or foe when, when it comes to diabetes-related issues. Mm -hmm. Never mind that. Our guy claims it is an essential thing to have in your body. Yeah. Uh, the claims behind this product range from improvements in brain function, uh, treating schizophrenia and diabetes... But he has suggested on many occasions and even provided testimonials for people being cured of autism as a result of uh, using this product. So the competition authority initiated new proceedings regarding this product because they suspect the company might have resorted to unfair marketing uh, practices. You think? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the time limit for the completion of the proceedings is three months, so we just have to wait and see what the outcome is. In the meantime, the guy is out claiming that people have had very promising results in recovering from COVID-19 after using his product. Of course they have. Of course. While he constantly attacks the idea of vaccines, hinting even at the vaccine, the vaccine, that uh, <laughs> is in the making. Outrageous uh, stuff. And he, he wasn't taken into custody for hindering the fight against coronavirus. Uh, like those two poor souls whose only fault was posting facts about the government uh, sending thousands of sick people home to free up hospital beds for COVID-19 patients. They were taken into custody uh, for a while. Mm. So we really live in an upside-down world, I have to say. Mm. And this guy has to be stopped. We are considering campaigning against him, but uh, we don't want it to backfire. You know, mm. you don't want to, them to get more attention than they usually deserve. Oh, but I think... That has been all the news items that we wanted to share with our listeners. So, before we end the show, I'd like to ask you, Pontus, mm -hmm. to tell us who's been really wrong lately. Apart from the ones that we mentioned earlier. <laughs> so, oh, you want some new ones? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, almost from the very start of the ESP, we have been aware of the low vaccination rates in Romania. Yeah. 
We have had uh, Ovidio Covaccio on the show several times, celebrating mm-hmm. the enormous work he does on his spare time to, to try to get rational scientific information out to the public. But uh, private citizens can only do so much, and it, it shouldn't be up to him or anybody else like him to try to fix what the government has failed to do, because they, they, ha- they really have failed. Romania has been the worst hit member in the EU when it comes to the number of measles cases over the last four years, with over 20,000 cases. And uh, that's not strange, with the vaccination rates being left to drop as low as below 50% for children under nine back in 2016. Now it has increased uh, over the years because they had to do something, but it's still well below the required 95% uh, that is uh, needed to keep measles in in check. Mm -hmm. And uh, the reason for those low vaccination rates, in my opinion, must be that the, the Romanian authorities has lost the information war. As we now live through a pandemic hoping for a new vaccine to come, lots of people in Romania would refuse to take it, a new survey shows. Uh, 57% of Romanians would accept to be vaccinated against COVID-19 if a vaccine existed today, but 33%, a third, replied that they would not get the vaccine under any circumstance. Not under any circumstance. Uh, And to me, that, that just shows to be a colossal failure of the government to fight the anti-vax movement and to provide reliable and trusted information to the public. We should be, and we are, extremely happy uh, for the work that Ovidio is doing and for his Facebook group that almost has 90,000 members today. It's absolutely incredible. One guy doing that. But not even he can turn this tide. It has to be up to the authorities. And they have known about this issue for years. UNICEF and the WHO, among others, had tried to help them, but they haven't done enough. So uh, for failing so miserably in the fight to inform the public about how safe and necessary vaccines are, the Roman Ministry of Health gets today's prize for being really wrong. Another well-deserved really wrong prize, I'm afraid. Thank you very much, Pontus. Thank you. Hello, Richard Saunders here from the Skeptic Zone podcast, a podcast for science and reason from Australia. Every week since 2008, the Skeptic Zone has brought you reports, interviews and investigations from all around the world. We have many listeners all through Europe. That's the Skeptic Zone podcast at www.skepticzone.tv. The Earth is only 6,000 years old. That's what Answers in Genesis and the Creation Museum say. And how can a museum be wrong? Isn't Dr. Oz just wonderful? I love today's episode. It didn't talk down to his adoring audience of women at all. Science has proved that the subatomic quantum realm is as real as it is counterintuitive and bizarre. Therefore, I can use it to support quantum healing and quantum consciousness. After all, how can journals like Aquarius Metaphysics be wrong? Evolution is just a theory. After all, if we came from monkeys, then why are there still monkeys? We all have friends and family who believe these things and much more. Well, if you're a rational thinker who is tired of arguing on social media and never getting anywhere, we have a solution for you. Join the Guerrilla Skepticism and Wikipedia team and we will teach you how to add reliable scientific and skeptical information to the world's number one source of information, Wikipedia. We write new articles and improve existing ones. We remove pseudoscience, paranormal, and alt-med claims, substituting the actual facts. And we operate in many languages. We've already reached tens of millions of people searching for information, but as you can imagine, we can never do enough. So please, join us. All you need is a PC and the desire to help educate the planet. In fact, you'll be educating the world while you sleep. Contact us at gsowteam at gmail.com. Guerrilla Skepticism. The time is is now. now. Music by purpleplanet.com. And that means 
that uh, the show, the end of the show is near. But before we go, I'd like to share a quote with you. And in the spirit of non- not dismissing what someone says based on their personality, but mm-hmm. considering the thought itself, if it has merit, let's hear a quote by Louis Agassiz. <laughs> ah, so the facts will eventually test all our theories and they form, after all, the only impartial jury to which we can appeal. Right. That applies to evolution as well. Yeah. <laughs> this is exactly what happened to Darwin's theory of evolution by natural selection. Yeah. <laughs> Too bad Agassi couldn't live to see that yeah. confirmed. All right. So this is the, our only hope mm. that facts will eventually test all our theories. All right. Thank you very much, Pontus, for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks to our listeners as well for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Bye-bye. Hey, do. Bis dann. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Kisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe